Happy New Year to everybody. This is Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator, back here with The Spectacle. And Scott McKay, Happy New Year, Scott. Your amazing post today, if you all haven't read it, over at the American Spectator, spectator.org, to go see his piece. He predicted mayhem that is happening right now in the House of Representatives with poor put upon McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy suffering at this moment. Scott, what say you? Well, um, uh, Andy Biggs got uh, 10 votes and Jim Jordan got six votes. Um, Jim Banks got one. Lee Zeldin, who's not even in Congress, got one. And Byron Donald's got one. And Kevin McCarthy, as of the first ballot for the Speaker of the House, got 203, which actually put him behind Hakeem Jeffries, who had 212 votes for Speaker of the House on the first ballot. And of course, now what we're getting is a whole lot of screaming that Democrats are going to control the House of Representatives, despite not being a majority in the body. And this is all the fault of the Freedom Caucus and the conservatives in the House. Um, here's the thing. Uh, that's a stupid argument. Like, it's a totally stupid argument because nobody's going to actually vote for it. Nobody on the Republican side is going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker. The question is whether Kevin McCarthy can get to 218. And I'll be honest, he's done a terrible job of trying to get to 218. I mean, this thing has been totally mismanaged on his part all along. And honestly, it's disqualifying because what we're talking about here is uh, basically this all came about. And I, you know, Melissa, you know this. I wrote this like back in late November, I think, um, you know, the fact that the Freedom Caucus came up with a whole bunch of congressional reforms that they wanted made. The number one thing, obviously, was they wanted to do a single subject rule on legislation. Meaning you can't do these stupid omnibus bills that have all these unrelated uh, you know, subjects attached to uh, the bill so that when somebody makes a vote for you know, whatever the, the main purpose of a bill, they're also voting for all these other things that they probably might not even agree with. They wanted to do away with that because almost every state legislature has a requirement of germaneness or a single subject rule so that if it's a bill about abortion, you're not going to be voting on, you know, uh, road signs or, or tort reform or something like that. In Congress, you know, the opposite is true. And you're always voting for a whole bunch of things that you don't actually support to get the main topic of a bill done. And this has gone on for a long time. Uh, they want to do something about it. And Kevin McCarthy stood in their way. The other thing was, is that members wanted to make amendments to bills on the floor. Right. He said no, which is stupid. Any functional legislature, that's how it works. And somehow this is, you know, like this can't be done in Congress. And especially over the next two years, it's stupid because you're not going to legislate for the next two years. Right. You're in gridlock. So now is the time to fix all the procedural problems that have infected Congress for at least the last seven years and really longer than that. And they wanted to do these things. And he said no. And as this negotiation has continued to go nowhere because McCarthy simply would not 
accede to the moment, which was, hey, let's fix Congress. We want to have something different than what it was when Nancy Pelosi was running the thing. Let's fix the process part. And when he wouldn't do that, they started to realize that Kevin McCarthy didn't have credibility with them. And now they don't want him because they don't think that he's, you know, of a character to be Speaker of the House. And so he's going to have a real problem getting to 218. And then, you know, now they're casting all these doomsday scenarios that the Democrats are going to control it. When the fact of the matter is the first credible leader on the Republican side who's willing to embrace the moment and have process reforms in Congress so that it becomes, again, a legitimate legislative body is going to be speaker. And that's going to be a Republican. Being from Louisiana, I'm hoping and praying that Steve Scalise steps forward and does this. Um, I think he already should have. Why do you but think if it's he not hasn't? Scalise, though? Be somebody else. Well, why do you think he hasn't? Though I've wondered that Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise, I'd be happier with either one of them. Well, but neither. I think the problem with Scalise is that he's friends with McCarthy and he's yeah. loyal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when I say the problem is that he's loyal. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound great, but in this perspective, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin McCarthy is going to be in a situation he can't get to 218. So it's not being disloyal to McCarthy for Scalise to step up and say, look, you know, I'm going to carry this ball forward. It's just a recognition of reality. And the fact is, is this has been the case for at least two to three weeks when you've had a sufficient number of objectors publicly, uh, mm-hmm. public objectors to McCarthy that he couldn't get to 218. You had five. Now I think it's 14 and you had how many? You had one, two, three, nine, 19 who have, you know, in the first ballot have come out and said that, you know, that they're, that they're for um, somebody other than McCarthy. So, I mean, like, I don't know where you go from here. If he, you know, he's saying, well, he's going to keep fighting this and it's like, yeah, okay. But here's the thing. You had an opportunity to make deals with all these guys to get to 218 and you haven't done it yet. So why should anybody believe the things that he's going to promise them to get their vote? I mean, how do you know he's not just going to, you know, oh, yeah, thanks a lot. And then turn around and, and, and uh, repudiate the deals that he makes with them. He had he's had two months to make these deals. Right. Yeah. And, and he hasn't done it. And it's a credibility issue now. And I just don't know where you go from here if you're McCarthy. Well, you know, know, the thing is, is he momentum has helped the establishment it helped them through this election it's helped them pretty much get everything that they want for the last decade and on both sides republican and democrat you know it's not like the quad has been super successful on the left either um as far as you know being marginalized by nancy pelosi and her ilk the problem is that the is that the whole of congress has moved left. And so the radicals on the left don't seem so radical. And the people who are on the right um, are not radical at all, just normal. I mean, these are process things that they're desiring. It's not like they're trying to enact a, oh, I don't know, an abortion ban nationally or something. Right. You know, so it's, but this is, you know, McCarthy is just relying on the fact that people will just roll over. And they have, and, and he can rely on that fact because they have until they don't. And, right. and I don't know if we're at the, for sure, till we don't, uh, you know, the thing is now the people who have voted against him and 
so McCarthy's damaged, but you know, leadership Roth will be furious and go after the dissenters. So now it's like it will be war in the caucus if they can't find some kind of third way unity person, you know. Right. And I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. I mean, yeah. Scalise would be a good choice. Um, Jim Jordan, I feel like, is a fighter that we need. I, I would personally like him, having met him, um, and just let him tear some shit up for two years, you know? Yeah. Well, Jordan actually, and it's interesting, apparently for the second ballot for um, – the speakership Jordan actually was the one who nominated McCarthy um he's catching votes he voted for McCarthy so in other words Jordan's like look this is not me these is these these guys you know don't so you know I and I don't know exactly you know yeah. what what you make of that if you're on the McCarthy side that that Jordan is catching votes and he's like no I'm with you guys right. um you know Andy Biggs is legitimately uh, against McCarthy and, and has, has been open about it. Um, you know, and, and I think Matt Rosendale from Montana is one of the, uh, the, the 10 that voted for Biggs in the first go round. He said he wouldn't vote for Scalise either. He's the only one I know of who, uh, has come out and said that. And I, you know, I, I think that that's a, a level of intransigence that doesn't serve his position particularly well. Um, you know, to me, if I'm looking at a second guy, I don't say anything about, you know, who's who's acceptable and who's not, because I'm going to listen. Right. Like if they want if they want my vote, I'm going to trade it for as much as I can get for it, because I've already accomplished yeah. my number one goal, which was not McCarthy. Right. So right. I don't you know, I, I don't really maybe I just don't know enough about about what's going on here to be able to, to intelligently kind of get into the strategy of this piece. But the important thing is, OK, that what motivated all of this was that they wanted to reform the process of the House of Representatives. Yeah. And the guy who had run on being an agent of positive change and improving this, th this place from what Nancy Pelosi was doing, OK, in his first major test, which was setting the House rules to the point where it could become a legitimate legislative bo body again, you know, McCarthy screwed that up. And then he comes back and, yeah, he's given he's given lots of concessions. And, of course, the narrative now is, well, if McCarthy doesn't get it and somebody else comes along, they're not going to make the same deals that McCarthy has. So the Freedom Caucus, by not taking the win, is now putting all of their gains in danger. Like and I don't buy that because how's the next guy going to get elected if he can't convince the Freedom Caucus to drop objections to him? Right. Like, let's say it's Scalise. If I'm Scalise, I'm going to start with the same deals that McCarthy made. All right. And then I'm going to try to pile something else on top of that to push me over the top. Right. And if Matt Rosendale wants to vote against me, fine, but I need to get everybody else. So, like, I don't understand how, you know, if if that, you know, McCarthy ends up going down in defeat, and the Freedom Caucus beat him, that all of a sudden this becomes a loss for them because they lose all of the gains that they would have gotten uh, with McCarthy. Like to me, that makes absolutely no sense because it, it presupposes that the Freedom Caucus is just going to get like scared of Hakeem Jeffries being the speaker and like just, oh, okay, well, we'll just make whoever it is, 
Elise Stefanik's going to be the speaker, and it doesn't matter that she won't give us any concessions. Like, what? Like, you would bury Kevin McCarthy only to, to roll over completely on the next? They need the Freedom Caucus's votes, right? Like, you need at least, what, 15 of those 19 people that voted against McCarthy yeah. to get to be speaker. So they have, I mean, they get the same leverage with somebody else that they have on McCarthy. So the idea that you would give away everything that you've already negotiated for, um, if you if somebody else went in as speaker, like somebody's got to explain the logic of that to me. That makes no sense at all. And it really, by, and I, I'm reading some of this stuff from Breitbart, because whoever they've got writing this thing for Breitbart, uh, and I'm scrolling through the updates, it's obviously somebody who's very much in McCarthy's camp oh. and is repeating all these things. And it's like, none of that makes any sense. So I'm, not, I'm just, I, you know, and we're, this thing is happening in real time as we're doing the podcast. Right. Um, but, well, you know. The thing, okay, so let sense. me ask you about this, as far as like, uh, there's people saying. Oh, this, this is Matthew Boyle from Breitbart. Oh, like, sorry. I don't. OK, it's Boyle. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Boyle covers Congress. He knows what he's talking about. And yet he's spewing nonsense. Yes. Well, but the, I've seen a lot of it. I've seen some people who are basically um, very embarrassed about the Republican. Um, the Republicans in disarray. Have you have you seen that? Like everybody's saying it's they're in disarray. Well, I mean, I, frankly, I don't care. Like this is, I have gotten past the point of caring at this point to, I don't take it personally. I don't really care about the Republicans. They have sold their voters out so many times. They deserve every embarrassing thing they get. And I don't even consider this embarrassing. This is just something that needed to ha has needed to happen for a long time. And and it didn't get resolved with Paul Ryan. He be, he was just a regular establishment stooge. So some of these things that they're asking for, it's not very much, in my opinion, needs to happen. Yeah. And so let everybody suffer. I, you know, really, I don't know anybody who deserves it more. <laughs> so I feel no, no empathy. And I'm like, am I missing something? Why should I care about this? They'll, they'll hammer it out. They'll figure it out. And it'll well, probably still screw their voters. Probably. Well, the way I look at it is, oh, okay, so they're in disarray in the House. Well, they were in array in the Senate. And what did that produce? Right. 37 votes to 10 in favor of Mitch freaking McConnell, the right. least popular politician in Washington, D.C., and he overwhelmingly gets the vote from the Senate caucus. Now, yeah. give me chaos in the House, because the fact of the matter is nothing's taken for granted. I don't know who the speaker is going to be, if it's Scalise, if it's Mike Johnson, if it's Jim Jordan, whoever it might end up being, is going to know that they came from a very contentious process and that they're going to be held to a high standard of performance because that hold on that job is not going to be, um, you know, very strong. So they've got to earn it every day. Mitch McConnell hasn't earned shit in 15 years, okay? And you see it every two years when there's a Senate cycle and Republicans underperform to the sense, you know, five seats that they should have gotten or six seats or four seats, whatever it is, they haven't not underperformed 
in any election since Mitch McConnell took over the leadership of the caucus, which was January of 2007. So going all the way back to before, well, 2008 forward is what, seven cycles? And you can't show me a single one that Republicans got more seats than they should have at the beginning of that cycle. Okay, so it has been nonstop, you know, losses on the on the GOP side um, while Mitch McConnell's been the head of the caucus. And it's been incredibly when you when you take from 2007 to today, which is like 16 years. OK, when you take that record and your number one thing that you're going to you're going to give Mitch McConnell credit for is the fact that Merrick Garland isn't on the Supreme Court. Like that is his calling card. OK, which is nothing. It's nothing. If Chuck Schumer or Harry Reid was in that same position, do you think Merrick, Republican Merrick Garland would have been on the Supreme Court? No, of course not. He did one thing that's that's the same level of gamesmanship that the Democrats routinely do. And we're supposed to think Mitch McConnell is good all of a sudden. Right. So that's the Senate. That's what happens when you have the GOP establishment in full control and there's no dissension, there's no chaos and all this kind of stuff. And this is what you get. OK, so it's like the football coach who goes two and 14 every year gets a, a, a lifetime contract. Right. And you say, well, we've got stability in our program. Yeah, it's stability. You're two and 14 every year and it's never going to get any better. Like, I would rather have a team that at least goes 500 and from Monday through Friday, you don't even know who the coach is. I would much rather have that team than the one I know is going to freaking lose all the games. And that's basically where we are with the Republican establishment. So I think it's glorious. And look, if Kevin McCarthy does find a way to get to 218, it's probably a lot better Kevin McCarthy than if he was able Mitch McConnell style to just float on in, you know, and get this however he wanted. I'm not saying I have any faith in him. I'm just saying the fact that he'd actually have to fight for the job is a pretty like that's I'm glad that he would. OK. And, I, you know, he has there's some really bad quotes in here. He says, you know, I've earned this job. And it's like you haven't earned it. You haven't earned it until you get the job. You have to get 218 votes in order to earn it. And there are people that don't want you in that job. So, no, you have not earned the job. And the fact that you want a majority of 222 votes absolutely means you haven't earned it, because the fact of the matter is you're supposed to have 245 votes or 250 votes, or at least 240, and you ended up with 222. That's not a win, okay? In this cycle, this midterm that just passed, where everybody was talking about how the Republican Party was going to get a red wave election and roll in, and you barely got there, okay? And then you don't even earn it within your own caucus after you didn't earn it with the American people. To me, that's a repudiation, and you should at least I mean, if not, you know, resign, which I'm not saying I expect McCarthy to do that. But you should at least take stock of where you are and say, we still have a lot of work to do. So, like, you know, what? how do we get there? And when they say, well, we want to reform the process, your answer is yes, wholeheartedly yes. I will be the kind of speaker that the country needs, not the kind of speaker that I want. And what this is all about is Kevin McCarthy. He wants his cake and eat it, too. Right. And, and the American people have told not just the Republicans, they've told the entire governmental establishment over and over again. And nobody's listening every time they do one of these right track, wrong track, track polls and all these other things. The American people are disgusted with Washington, D.C., utterly disgusted 
okay, and nobody's listening, well, the closest people, um, politicians to the people in Washington are those House members. And all of these Freedom Caucus guys, okay, they, they're listening to their constituents. There's nobody in the Freedom Caucus that everybody hates back home. They're the ones that are actually in touch with the folks back home. Okay, and they want Congress to become a real legislative body and they want to do real things to stop Biden, which is what their constituents want. And it, instead, we're just going to we're going to do that because the uniparty's got to continue to rule. Oh, OK. So when three quarters of the American people think the country's on the wrong track. OK, when three quarters of them will think that. And yet barely you get a majority in the House elections in November. Because nobody thinks the Republican Party is any better than the Democrats. Okay. And you don't take stock of that. And you don't say, hey, yeah, we're going to do things different. What the hell with you? I mean, really, like, I don't care about your problem. I don't care about a politician's problems anyway. But I especially don't care about the problems of a Kevin McCarthy who didn't read the room. You don't deserve the job. Don't you think he's probably being squeezed? Like, the, the thing is, is that, like, Mitch McConnell's the worst. And so not only is he, you know, betraying the Republican voters, but he's working with the Democrats and what he's consistently done all the way back to poor Boehner is put the screws to the House leader when we have had House leadership and always throwing the House leader under the bus. Oh, for, for sure. For sure. And so some of these things where the... I was happy to see the Republicans finally say to McConnell's that, you know, you're not going to see anything that you want get passed by us. And it's about damn time. I don't know. We'll find out, you know, this will be an adventure throughout the day. I've, there's a lot of people who are very upset about all of this because they think that McCarthy is a foregone conclusion and that the Republicans will have weakened their own caucus in the process of that. But, you know, these guys were already weak and pathetic. And so I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, you're, you know, basically what we're talking about is we're talking about the Republican establishment. Yeah. Right. And the Republican establishment might be damaged. I mean, you know, you're, you're watching this podcast and you're watching two people talk who absolutely love the idea of the Republican establishment being damaged because <laughs> they've damaged the Republican party. I mean, the brand of the party is in ruins and has been since Reagan. Yeah. And yet, you know, 85 percent of the party still embraces Donald Trump. And the, you know, probably most of the ones that don't are, you know, looking for DeSantis as a guy rather than Trump, which but they want the same thing with DeSantis as, as, as you want for Trump. And the whole thing is we want to get rid of this D.C. uniparty, you know, Republican style politics, the Bush Republicanism that we've been trying to repudiate for I mean, years, years. And more than a decade at this point where, yeah. you know, there's been an active movement inside the Republican Party to, to dump this out and start over. And the same people keep holding on to power. OK, so to me, you have to inflict some damage on these people. That that I mean, the, you're talking about a guy who's going to be the speaker who lives with Frank Luntz in Washington. He lives with Frank Luntz. He's got a room in Frank Luntz's place. Frank Luntz is like the establishment, you know, uniparty Republican pollster who works for like the Sacklers 
right? Like Purdue Pharmaceutical that hooks the whole country up on opioids and all of these, like, all these other like awful corporations. He does these focus groups. Or and this is who Kevin McCarthy lives with. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but in his spare time, Frank Luntz is ombudsman for my Twitter feed. He will, uh, he will come in and he, he will swan into my Twitter feed and let me know that I'm off the mark hither and thither. <laughs> I'm like, Frank, don't you have something better to do than give me crap? Go away. I don't like you. I told him that. I was like, I don't even like you. Why are you talking to me? You know? And <laughs> it's just, he's like the most annoying. Okay. I think, I think we can talk about this later. We'll have results later. But one of the things I want to talk about that doesn't seem to be in the news very much, although I'm not watching the news, so I don't know, is I, like many, many Americans, have been sick since Thanksgiving until now. I got some weird RSV-like virus. Then I got the flu. Then I got pneumonia. And yeah, I'm finally getting over this stuff. A long, strange See, trip it's been, right? Yes. And the hospitals are overrun. Is that with COVID, do you say? No, it's with flu. Yeah. And, and flu, by the way, we knew this one year into COVID is about four times as deadly for children. I mean, children don't die of COVID. They just simply do not. They, and by children, I mean, 18 and under, I'm being very, very generous with the term, here. Right. but flu kills and nothing like they actually took the mask at the local children's hospital. They took the mask off right before Thanksgiving, right before this huge influx of disease and all summer long, no one was sick. And then this flu thing. And everybody is sick. All I, all I'm, the only reason I'm bringing this up is I don't think I'm alone. And it's just something that no one is discussing, like how terrible it is that there are people dying from this. Right. Where's all the hysteria? That's what I want to know. Right. Where is all the hysteria? Well, I mean, you know, and the, 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 you know, the real question that people ought to be asking here is, how much of the current flu and RSV epidemic, because you got a ton of RSV out there too. Um, how much of that is result of people's immune systems getting all screwed up because you cooped everybody up for a year, you made them wear masks for a year. And you know, like your immune system is almost like a muscle. You've got to exercise it if you're gonna keep it up. And so, you know, you turned everybody into like the bubble people and then all of a sudden this stuff comes out and you can't fight it off because your immune system's not on its game. Right. And I, I'm not even going to go there on, you know, what the vaccine might've done. Yeah. Um, you know, we're dealing with this thing that happened in Cincinnati last night. Um, yeah. This, yeah. you know, this safety for the bills who, you know, prayers go out to, to uh, DeMar Hamlin, but, you know, I, I mean, it, it sounds like he got this, uh, was it commotio cordis, which is, you know, if you get hit in the chest just right, your heart can stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and Peter McCullough, who's one of the, you know, best uh, voices on this stuff. You know, he said, look, you know, I mean, this is a hit to the chest. Okay, this is not the same thing as like these soccer players that just like right. keel over yeah, and, like, in the middle of the field without getting hit. I mean, but... 
Apparently, this guy Hamlin was vaxxed on December, got a booster on December 26th. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that this is a vaccine thing. Okay. Yeah. But it's possible that, um, you know, that the, the risk of one of these injuries becoming fatal or debilitating, I mean, you know, as of this podcast, the guy's in the hospital and he's on basically life support. I mean, they've got him intubated and I mean, he's not breathing on his own. Right. Um, they did manage to restart his heart. And I apparently, you know, they, they, I guess they think they got enough oxygen to his brain in time so that he's not, you know, I mean, the big thing about getting a heart attack is your brain loses oxygen and then you have permanent damage or you just brain dead and you die. Like that's what happened to Mike Leach. Mm-hmm right? The football coach at Mississippi state, he had a bad heart attack and they couldn't get They couldn't get him to care quick enough, you know, and he just, they had him on life support. Anyway, um, you have this situation where, you know, and this is going to become a thing. If, if, if there's any trace uh, of this, uh, this incident to him being vaccinated, like he's more at risk of something like, you know, the hit that he took stopping his heart or any of that kind of stuff, I mean, you know, the NFL Players Association is going to like that's going to be a bubbling cauldron of trouble because these guys all had to take the jab. Right. And, you know, if you start showing, hey, you know, I mean, this is going to make your heart stop in the wrong situation. And we made you take this vaccine that puts you more at risk of something happening to you, like what happened to this poor guy from the bills. I mean, I'm not saying it could be the end of pro football, but it could, it's, I mean, this is a, a real shock to the system that this could be. Um, well, they, and they so also like, stopped the game too. Like it, the, oh yeah, absolutely. like they made it a big deal. Like, so here's my, I'm no cardiologist. I do have some medical background. I, you know, because he's not breathing on his own, that indicates brain stem swelling. And if he was, he was hit that hard. And, and, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the hit, which I, you know, watched it on repeat a couple of times, I was like, boy, that was a sigh. That, that wasn't even like a direct, I mean, I've seen, you know, like somebody like literally kind of get speared right in the chest and you're like, damn. And in this case, it looked like a glancing blow here's the thing i mean it was a hard hit but you've seen oh yes 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 it was a hard hit obviously and he's not he's not that dense of a guy like as an athlete he's and so like you can see it really affecting him if he had already some kind of cardiac inflammation of course that's going to make anything worse but i wouldn't think i would i would think the injury enough is enough to explain so like i i don't like as much as uh, um, I have my doubts about the COVID vaccine, this kind of thing is possible. However, one of the things that said is that there has not been an injury like this right. for 50, over 50 years. Right. And the amount of times men in the NFL have been hit so hard in the chest, and this was not one of those kinds of hits. It is, that's why people are suspicious. Now I read an account from the reporter on the ground there at the hospital saying that he, um, that the feds were there for some reason. 
and like creating a perimeter or something around the hospital. I don't know. It was weird. It is weird. And, and, um, and people are talking about the practicalities of the game. You know, do you break, start the game again? This is so, this, you know, this part into the season. Do you have any idea of what they're going to do? Have you looked into that or have they even said? Like, I don't even know how you do that. I mean, it's almost like you'd have to push the playoffs back a week and, you know, yeah. bring this game in because otherwise you're trying to play two games in a week at the end of the season and nobody's going to do that. I mean, like the practicalities of moving a Monday night game. I mean, it was, if this was a Sunday game and they said, okay, so, you know, we'll do 48 hours and maybe we'll play the game on Tuesday. It's, you can maybe pull mm -hmm. that off, you know, Tuesday to Sunday is kind of a, like you, you could maybe do something, but the fact that it's a Monday game and obviously they're not going to play play it tonight don't think they could play it tomorrow night so like you play a monday game on thursday and then you got a game on sunday can't do that even if you're pushed a sunday game to monday it's still too short a window so you know like i don't know how you do it i think you'd, you'd have to like fit that game in on you know a week where you were normally playing the wild card games or you just don't play it and that has all kinds of playoff mm -hmm. implications as well Right. Um, you know, in terms of like, who's going to be the top seed in the ACC. And so, you know, I, I, there were the initial things is okay. You know, we're going to give this to the teams five minutes and, you know, then we're going to warm back up and get to play. And the NFL officials after the fact, like Troy Vincent, who's the, I guess the, I don't know what Vincent's job is in the NFL, but he's an assistant to the commissioner. And he was like, look, we never said that that was the case. That was, fraudulent reporting we never said we we're going to make everybody go back out there i don't know if he's telling the truth or not i know both the coaches were like no way we're going to do this um you know like everybody just essentially saw somebody die on the field right in front of them that's not going to make you want to play football well i mean they've got to be completely freaked out and one thing that's different yeah. about this situation because the vaccine stuff is ever present on so many people's minds, right? You have a mutinous bunch of professional football players. You know what I mean? If they see yeah. their friend die on the field, and it comes out that he had myocarditis, there's gonna—it's just gonna be a well, disaster. right? Because remember, they made everybody take the vax. Yeah. Okay. Like, if you remember when Aaron Rodgers was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, remember how much shit came down on Aaron oh, Rodgers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, I mean, they made him out to be, you know, like every bad word under the sun. Right. Um, so, like, these guys all got told, you have to do it. And then the, the thing about it is, is all these college players mm. have had to take the vax. Like, yeah. they, the colleges made them take. So, there's been no, you know, opt out really for any of this stuff. Right. But, like, Everybody in the NFL, other than a very, very small number of people that got away with not taking it, and that's probably like mm -hmm. people you can count on one or two hands. Um, they're like they're all gonna be, hey, I'm at risk for this too. Yeah, I'm not, like I'm gonna take my life on in my hands every time I go on the field. I take a routine hit to the chest, and because you made me take this vax, like I, you know, like I could literally drop that on the field and. You go look at the soccer players and there's been dozens and dozens of soccer players that, you know, where this is at least suggestively traced to, but I mean, you're talking about the, the word you, you used was very good mutinous. 
right? You're talking about like the entire NFL Players Association gets together and says, look what you've done to us. Like, you know, like this has already killed one of us. And I'm not saying that this is the thing, but like you said, if, if it turns out that myocarditis had a part to play in this, okay, um, or some, you know, it, some, some other condition that could be traced to him getting that booster shot supposedly on December 26th, um, I don't really like that. You're in some uncharted waters here, right? Because this is not the same thing as, for example, you know, they, they had the whole CTE controversy in the NFL right. with, you know, concussions and, oh, this is going to, you know, permanent damage or whatever. Look, everybody in the NFL has known from the very beginning that, look, you're probably going to get at least one concussion during the time that you play in this league. Okay. And this is one of the reasons that you make millions of dollars playing in the NFL that you couldn't make doing anything else. Right. So you assume that risk and happily so. Okay. Um, and if, you know, and if you got to take medication down the road or, if, you know, if there's some, uh, you know, effects after the fact, uh, I mean, you know, they've, they've traced of Terry Bradshaw, for example, has had problems with depression uh, ever since he got out of football. You know, and I mean, you you look at Bradshaw, you say, this guy's got a great life. He's like, eh, you know, not everything's been peaches and cream for freaking Terry Bradshaw. Okay. But Terry Bradshaw has said over and over again, if I had to do it again, I certainly would. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, he's a country boy from North Louisiana who like made good. And, um, you know, and on balance has had a great life and being an NFL quarterback and taking some concussions has been a really big part of that. Right. And it's been on balance, a positive piece. So you can you can take that um, uh, uh, take that risk in stride to an example to, to, to an extent. But when you make people take the jab and you tell them it's going to help them and it turns out to be a deadly problem for them. OK. Um, or at least some of them. And they weren't made aware of the risk in advance. I mean, those are the that's like the stuff of mass lawsuits. Right. But guess what? You don't get that with the vax because the emergency use authorization protocol that this thing was issued under means there's no liability for Pfizer or for Moderna or anybody else. There's no liability for those people who are responsible for the vaccine. And if it turns out to have like, killed people, we know it's already killed people. But I mean, it turns, it turns out to kill substantial numbers of people and put substantial numbers of people at risk, whether it's NFL players, Major League Baseball players, fighter pilots, or what have you. Mothers and babies. Well, sure, babies. absolutely, okay? And so you now you get to the situation of, oh, you weren't made aware of these risks, and then you were induced or even forced to take this jab mm -hmm. that has these negative effects on you. Um, Oh, and there's no recourse. I mean, you want to talk about moving to a different America than the one we've known is that because one of the things and as conservatives, we've kind of griped about it over the years is, oh, my God, the lawsuits, right? The trial lawyers and after on this in this case, this is when like you as much as we may complain about trial lawyers, this is where you start to realize no, those guys actually do have a part to play yeah. because when you have the kind of deck stacked against you um, uh, reality that you see with the vaccine, 
um, and you don't you don't have a recourse or some ability to 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 uh, to punish the guilty and and deliver justice to those who've been injured, then you know it, it kind of makes a mockery of all of the things that we believe as Americans. When you know it's just well you know the the, the pharmaceutical companies are a privileged class and you know they they don't there's no justice to be had with them. And if you get screwed by something that you were forced to do that benefited them, well, them's the brakes. I can tell you, you can't sustain a society on that basis. That's how, you know, you get revolutions that way. And I'm not saying people are going to have a revolution because of the pharmaceutical companies, but I am saying that you can't maintain the credibility of the ruling status quo when people see something like this and don't think that there's a way out of it. And that's, should this situation turn out to have a, uh, a relationship to vaccination or a booster this guy took or whatever, um, that's, you know, this is the chasm that opens up that we're going to have to then deal with. And if it's not this case, it's going to be something else because we all know this is coming. OK, um, we're not allowed to have this discussion now, but it's at some point very soon, it's not going to be avoided. And this may be the situation that, that that brings that about. We'll see. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is it's difficult because this case is more complex. But the fact is, is that data is just slowly drifting out. You know, the the level of um, the number of miscarriages, the number of stillborn children. And, you know, it's off the charts. I was watching something like 900 times the, the normal amount. I mean, it, it's, it's like absurdly high. Right. And, and the interesting thing to me is that it's kind of like, I liken it to, you know, in the 1920s, when people, when the stock market crashed and people were in line for soup, you could see the trauma that people were dealing with every day. The problem in this digital world is that because there's no longer lines like that, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's easier to spread the discontent and make it kind of seem like it's melted into the ether, like it's not a real thing. And we've seen this with so many things, whether it be what is perceived as unfair elections or um, any kind of distrust in some government edict or even Biden never leaving his basement for his presidential campaign. Not, it all feels wrong. And so you can't, and you know, you're not seeing the numbers. And when you do see the numbers, it's not in the direction that anyone thinks. Like it's, it's in the opposite of what the, the, the media is saying. And it's the same way with this COVID stuff. You know, I go to the hospital with my son because he's immune compromised from a bone marrow transplant. And I see all of these RSV and flu children just, I mean, it's like a massive humanity. And no one talks about it. And then yet yeah, we do talk about you have to get your COVID vaccine. And it's like children and young people are dying from this. Healthy people, NFL athletes, college athletes don't die from COVID. Right. Fat, middle-aged, and old people die from COVID. But that's not what we hear. And so they're forcing these vaccines on the healthy. And they're not even vaccines. They're, they're genetic treatments is what they are and and so like nothing it's all a lie from the beginning to the end it's a distortion of terms and 
making upside, you know, right side up the upside down, and it's just continuing a pace. And so something like this happening when the NFL, which has hundreds of thousands of people watching here in America and around the world, and everybody's thinking the same thing, and no one can say it. Right. Because to say it, even though there's data coming out, for example, there was a big study in Israel, and it showed definitively that myocarditis was not a secondary effect of COVID, the illness. Only, it was only a secondary effect of the um, mRNA treatment. And so like, you know, but we're supposed to ignore all of this, you know, it's supposed to, we're supposed to pretend it's like the whole world is playing pretend. And, and then what you believe and what you experience, another example is that like racism, racism is this big, huge problem, right? If you watch the media, but it's not this big, huge problem. Everybody walking around knows that it's not this big, huge problem. Your everyday life is counter to the narrative. And then we're getting this kind of news. Um, so I read somewhere about, you know, psyoping the America people, American people. And it sounds like you're into something big, vast conspiracy theory. But I swear, it, it, it seems to be happening, you know, where the American people are just being abused into unreality. Yeah. And so that it takes me back to McCarthy, where he can be in la la land and so far out of touch of the Republican based voters. And because all of the elites are just completely out of touch, except for maybe Elon Musk seems to kind of get it. Nobody sent him the memo that he can't state the say the obvious. And interestingly, comedians are saying the obvious. I just watched a Bill Burr special that he did over in England. He was saying all the things he can't say in America. And I, I was just laughing. I love him. And, you know, I was just laughing watching it. And I'm like, yes, this is all the stuff we know. Right. We all know these things. And we can't say them. We can't say that flu is more, um, you know, deadly to children and that children are suffering because of it. We have to pretend. Why? I, I'm just like... To what end all of these lies and obfuscations and and just nonsense? I, I don't get it. It's sowing chaos. It's well, sowing chaos. I mean, you know, and when you don't understand this stuff, you you ask the old Roman question, right? Qui bono? Yeah. Right? Like who benefits from this? And and when you start to answer that, is when you start figuring this stuff out. I mean, you know, and, and I go back to Every city in America is governed by people who clearly have no interest in doing the run-of-the-mill normal things that uh, entail the governance of a city, right? There's money in the budget for potholes. The potholes never get filled. Um, you know, I mean, I, we spend all this money on law enforcement, and yet we treat cops worse than ever. We spend all this money on education, and the kids don't get educated. And, you know, all the people that run these systems graduated from the best schools um, and they're, you know, they're, they're supposedly professionals at what they do. 
uh, we invest an enormous amount of money in getting these guys qualified to do a job that they don't do and fail spectacularly at it. And so at some point you start to realize it's not that these guys are incompetent. It's that the job they're doing is not the job you think they're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so it's a conscious choice to steal all the pothole money. Um, you know, and you're like, well, why can't you? It's so simple to fill a pothole. It's like, well, no, if the if the potholes all get filled, then that's a standard that we're going to hold these people to for the rest of the time they run it. And that's less discretion that they have to use the resources for other things. They need to lower your standards and expectations in order that there's money for graft and and corruption and all of the, you know, the abuses of power that you see in all of these places. And this has been going on for long enough that those expectations have been lowered, right? And so you, you now have a Baltimore or a St. Louis or a Detroit or some of these city, New Orleans, where nobody expects any of this stuff to be done anymore. And I think that's what you're starting to see in America. You know, like we, we could get into this whole thing about you know, Sam Brinton. And I don't know that you and I have actually had a chance to talk about, you know, the denouement of Sam Brinton after he got caught not once but twice stealing women's luggage at the airport. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, this guy got hired because he was a freak. Right. Yeah. It wasn't that he was, oh, but he went to MIT and he knows all this stuff about the nukes. That's not it. There were 20 guys out there that better prepared for that job than Sam Brinton. They hired the guy specifically to get a freak like that in a position of governmental power so that the country would know, hey, we can hire these people, right? Richard Levine, what is it, number two guy in DHSS, who was an utter failure as the health secretary in Pennsylvania. OK, this guy killed thousands of old people with COVID by putting them in the nursing homes up there. Right. Not his grandmother took her out of one and put her in a hotel. Right. But these other people killed him. Right. No administration in their right mind would let that guy fail up and move him up into the federal government. OK, they did it because he was a transvestite. All right. They wanted to put this in everybody's face so that going forward. They can hire anybody they want without getting any opposition. Because if you don't rise up against a Sam Brinton or a Rachel Levine, then you're never going to do it. And they can give anybody that job. And this was like, this was one of the most, you know, boldest things that I'd ever seen a presidential administration do. But think of the precedent that they have now set. Right. And they could say, well, this was, you know, diversity, which is a strength. And it's like, no, that kind of diversity is not a strength. You you took somebody who's manifestly, manifestly mentally ill. OK, this guy, Sam Brady, which, you know, looking at the guy that he's absolutely off his rocker. OK. And it turns out that he shows up at the airport. And when he sees a Vera Bradley bag, he walks off with it. This guy steals luggage to get the women's clothes inside, okay? At the airport where there are cameras, right? I mean, it's like it's impossible not to get caught doing this stuff when they know who you are, okay? He's all over the TV and he's in Minneapolis and he steals the bags and he goes to Vegas and he steals the bags and he's on camera both places. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. But the point is, 
they they knew that this guy was at least capable of that all right they knew that this is the kind of person that he is they hired him anyway and it was a big in your face to the american people and it's all about they don't want to be judged on a standard of competence okay they want to be judged on a standard of power what they can do to you and when you know what they can do to you you will stop complaining and you will allow it because the consequences are devastating to you um you know and another example this is pete Buttigieg, right who is now going to ride herd on southwest airlines which look Southwest had a real problem when that Arctic blast came. A little too, little too late, well, don't you think? Okay, but there are specific reasons for why this happened to Southwest Airlines. They had outdated computer software that needed to be changed out and mm -hmm. updated, okay? And they were always at risk for this, but they had workarounds for 20 years, okay? And the workarounds didn't work because you had too many flights get canceled. Pete Buttigieg has ruined everything he's touched as Secretary of Transportation, okay? Everything, the supply chain, the whole bit, okay? Um, and so now he's going to ride herd on Southwest Airlines. Um, and this is not to try to improve uh, the passenger experience uh, among air travelers, right? This is all about power. They want to they feast on Southwest's corpse is what they want to do. Now, does Southwest need to clean up their act? Absolutely. Do I trust Southwest to do it rather than Department of Transportation? Yes, because I've already seen what those guys did with the supply chain. Um, and so, you know, I, like this is all about like you're going to put these people in charge who are manifestly not competent in these jobs. OK, and they're going to use their positions to get increasing amounts of power over the productive sector. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all about power and not about making things work. And this, and this whole, this shows up everywhere you look, everywhere you look with, with respect to the public sector in this country today. Well, that's absolutely true. I, I will note this, that it looks like the, FBI actually might have helped do something right. Um, Brian Koberger, this is the guy accused of killing those four people in Idaho, those four college students. Mm -hmm. They followed him to Pennsylvania and caught him. Did you see that McCarthy lost the second round? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a long day for old Kevin, I think. Um, anyway, this you know, this kind of, this is the first time in a long time, almost since OJ, and I, I don't include what happened uh, to George Floyd, because that was a different, you know, in the police brutality kind of thing. I'm talking about where a crime that's committed, and, and this guy is just calm as a cucumber and says that he, he's going to prove his innocence, even though his DNA was found at the crime scene, um, he's he he's going back confidently to Idaho to exonerate himself. Um, anyway, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it certainly has captured the public imagination. Well, 
you know, there's a there's a, a question here, which is, um, you know, I wonder if if you're going to major in criminology, if if you shouldn't take a psych test as part of your admissions process. His undergrad degree is in psychology. Right, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, so I like, I mean, did higher education make this monster? Um, <laughs> did higher education make him? I, like, I don't know. Um, and I don't know that there's anything you can do to fix that. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, this is one of the. His parents say he's innocent. They've got the wrong guy. Okay. I mean, we'll find out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, yeah. mom and dad are always going to say their kid didn't do it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to hold off waiting in on this one um because yeah, i'm just glad this guy's caught i mean um there's some implication that there might be another person involved or something i don't know well he did have this whole deal where he was he was you know recruiting people to be subjects of an experiment and it was all about like uh you know can you commit a crime and how does this affect your psyche if you do how right? did you feel like, before committing the crime yeah i mean you know, and I, you know that <laughs> Kind of creeps me out now that I know what this guy's crime is. Yeah. But I don't know that it's necessarily related to the case. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. All I, all I can say is that I think people, generally speaking, are losing their minds. Like, I do think that there, there is, the world seems to be spinning more quickly. The drivers at the, you know, drivers seem to be crazier. People at the grocery store seem to be crazier. I don't even know how many times I've thought in the last, you know, couple of times I've been at the store. Oh, I didn't, you know, I should have been packing. You know, people are nuts. You know, you just don't know what people are going to do. Um, over the holidays, I've talked to at least a half a dozen people um, who, you know, told me variations of the same thing, which is basically that, like, they don't feel safe um, in crowds anymore. Yeah. You know, whether it's going to a concert or, you know, being at some, you know, big, you know, event where there are lots of people or going to a ball game or whatever, like, they're like, I avoid crowds. I don't, I don't want to be around crowds anymore because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, which is really, really, really unhealthy that people think that. Well, do you think that it's because we've all gotten weird because of, you know, the COVID isolation and now going back out and engaging in the world feels unsafe? Or do you think- I mean, maybe some of it, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think more it's just people don't trust each other anymore. I yeah. think that's the big thing. You know, you just can't, you know, and, and I don't know how much of that is reality and no. how much it is we're all watching too much TV. Um, like I'll, I don't watch I'll, TV at all. So. Well, like I'll give you an example. So yeah. there's a show and a bunch of people that, that um, uh, it came out back in October uh, on Netflix. It's a show called The Watcher. Um, and it's actually like a true story. Um, but you know, I had a bunch of people telling me, hey, you gotta watch this show. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's I, I recommend it. It's awesome, but it's absolutely like you, every episode you're like, you know, like <laughs> at the end it's like, oh my God, I can't believe what I just saw. And basically the deal is just, you know, that this, this couple, like she's this artist, who makes like, like high-end pots or something. And he's a lawyer 
for some, you know, mergers and acquisitions firm in New York. And they, you know, live in the city, but they decide they're going to move to Westfield's really, you know, ritzy suburb of New Jersey. Uh, and they find this gorgeous house, blah, blah, blah. And so they move in and it's like, oh my God, we've just totally hit the jackpot. This place is awesome. Love everything about it. But the neighbors, when they, as they start meeting, are like utter creeps. Okay. Like they're massive, serious creeps. And they start getting these letters that are like even creepier, like, hey, love your house. Uh, I'm watching you all the time. And I see the people in your house and your daughter's name is X and your son's name. Is, and they're just like, okay, this is like not cool. Right. And so they start trying to figure out who it is that's doing this to them. And everything just kind of just goes down from there. But the whole and this actually happened. I don't know the particulars of what's in the, the series on Netflix are um, how closely that tracks to like the real thing there. I know there's some of it that, that actually is true. Um, point of this is it's, I'm, I'm watching this show. And I'm like, this is, you know, this was right before New Year's. Like, this is so 2022, right? Is that this doesn't even seem outlandish anymore, yeah. right? Because everybody has these creepy neighbors right? And everybody's got to deal with these people that scare the hell out of them. And I don't know that it necessarily was, uh, wasn't always this way. Um, but we are starting to be conditioned by the things that we see in pop culture and all these other things. Like we're starting to be conditioned into abnormal behavior mm -hmm. and antisocial behavior mm -hmm. being normal. Right. So 20 years ago, you go and you make the watcher and you put it on TV and people start looking at it and they're like, OK, it's like really entertaining, but it would never happen. Hmm. All these people that told me I had to watch this show were like, I could totally see that happening. to me. Like I could totally see it. Right. Because they've heard similar stories in real life. Hmm. But the big thing is they're expecting this stuff because they see it on the tube or they you know read it in, in and i mean the news media is the same thing they're always looking for these crazy stories to get you know clicks and whatever um but we're all like we're just we're used to it right like the jeffrey epstein thing people actually kind of expect that stuff now right people right. expect that oh yeah you know pedophiles run the country which you know 10 years ago was like that's insane and then q comes along and, and, you know, there's this, oh, that's still insane. And then you see all these scandals breaking. It's like, well, it's not actually insane because it is happening. <laughs> what, to what extent, we don't necessarily know. But it's like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could be the case anymore. Right. But, and like, you know, you get this as part of society's decline um, that you see in the, in the pop culture and then you see in real life and it, it's kind of, it reinforces itself. Nobody goes to church anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have this entire, uh, you know, kind of cycle that just keeps descending. Um, and I like, I think people have kind of picked up on it. And it's, you know, the word I would use to describe this is demoralization. Um, you know, where you expect less and less out of your leaders and you mm -hmm. expect worse and worse behavior out of celebrities and you have less and less respect for uh, people's success because you kind of feel like they had to do something untoward to get there mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth. 
And, you know, like, I don't know how you halt that. We desperately need to have some sort of spiritual, cultural, you know, revival. I don't know how you kick that off. But everybody's upset about the way things are, right? Like, nobody's like, no, everything's great. Like, they may say that about their personal lives. Right. But everybody, like, everybody you talk to is things are worse, you Mm -hmm. know? over the last, whatever, 15 years, 20 years, things are worse. And I don't know how to fix it, but somebody's got to because things are worse. And I mean, you just see it over and over again. And I mean, the recognition of it, I think is good. Um, But, you know, the plan to fix it is not there. I don't think Um, you can unring the bell. I wrote about today, and for those of you who are watching, this will probably not be produced by the time the piece comes out. But the the basic premise is, in the eighties, we had open lunch at in my high school, so we came and go as we wanted, and there were burnouts who stood across the street, right? And we had two Pinkertons. We had two Pinkertons who who kind of made sure you know that school wasn't burning down, watched over the parking lot, watched over the school. And I don't know how those two guys managed to be everywhere, but they did. But no one bothered the burnouts. The burnouts sat there smoking their pot, doing their stuff across the street. And then they'd saunter back over when they decided to go to class. If they decided to go to class, they'd come into class, walk into class late. The principal didn't stop them. The teachers didn't stop them. Nobody dealt with them. Right. And, but they, but the average kid like me, you know, nerdy me, having to go to the bathroom, if I didn't have a hall pass, those Pinkertons would get you and you'd get a detention. And I think that the whole country has become that. We have the surveillance state where the actual criminals aren't really bothered that much and the law abiding have become the mark for law law enforcement, for the federal government, that the, the people in charge, the oligarchy, whatever you wanna call it, who runs America now, view the average American as the problem. And it occurred to me sitting here when I wrote it this morning, I was like, I was freer in high school than I am now. By that, I mean, I could come and go. Nobody knew where I was. I could do what I wanted. You know what I mean? Like there was a real freedom that the the children today don't even know. The adults don't even remember. Because now we are so tethered uh, technologically, cameras everywhere, our phones, people have got smart homes. They're literally surveilling themselves. The government just passed a law saying that every new vehicle created has to have a kill switch in it. Kill switch. Can you believe that? Yeah. But this is just I will more... never drive a car with a kill switch. I don't care if I got to go find some jalopy that, that that's been in Havana since nineteen. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to have a damn car with a kill switch. Exactly. And and then you know, the all the people who have a nest in Colorado getting their air conditioning turned off during a heat wave. You know, we're we're in this situation where we have less and less control, ironically, of our environment, and we have the illusion of control with our phone. Right. People think that because I can look something up, you know, I'd have to go to an encyclopedia to find the information, you know, that I wanted, had to have some patience, but we have become um, victims of ourselves, I think. 
And so I, the paranoia that people have is rooted in reality. There is always somebody watching. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned, oh, well, you know, you can just Google something. And it's like, yeah. And Google stores your searches. Right. So like, in other words, there is AI out there that is that is going to like everything that you search for. They're now they're building a facsimile of your brain yeah. on the cloud. Yeah. OK. And like you're, you're not even your own person anymore, because when you open up your phone or you you know get on the Internet or whatever, you're now seeing ads based on what that facsimile of your brain is expecting. Yeah. Somebody yeah. can sell you. Yeah. Um, and most people are perfectly fine with it, right? You bring this up as a concern and they go, eh, it's okay. You know, I like getting those ads. They're relevant to me. It's like, okay, yeah. you're not creeped out by that. Nah, I'm good. Right. And so you have an entire generation of, of people that are plugged into the matrix and perfectly fine with it. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I, I mean, lots of people still get red pilled, but is it a majority? I don't think so. I think that's, I think that partly explains the last election cycle. Yeah. I think there is a real kind of nihilism at work here that it doesn't matter anyway. So I kind of enjoyed this uh, Brian Covert pluck. I mean, in an era of DNA and everything else, him thinking that he's going to exonerate himself, uh, you know, with his slasher kills that he made and getting his DNA everywhere is, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he can beat the system. Somehow I doubt it. Well, uh, I mean, on that ha happy thought, we don't have a result yet. Have Do we of the I don't believe so. Let's see, I've got an update. Nope. So now I don't know, this is gonna, I don't know how long this is gonna go. This is, um, I was looking at a list there's only been a couple, like four or five, that had, you know, speaker fights that have gone beyond two rounds of voting. It hadn't happened in like a hundred years. I know. Um, so this is, you know, it's a historic thing. And now yeah. it, I'm looking at this. It seems to be that um, a, a part of the one of the possibilities is that M McCarthy can win based on a bunch of Democrats like leaving the room. Um, and just saying, ah, I'm bored, I'm done. And if like 30 Democrats leave, then McCarthy's now got enough votes to be speaker. Um, Ooh, what a way for that to happen, though. Ooh. You know, well, I mean, I, I, yeah. you're right. That would be, uh, that would be like a, a, a metaphorical moment really in American is. history is, uh, you know, like he, basically people gave up. And that's how your mediocre speaker became speaker. Yeah. Is, you know, like he, well, he won the battle of apathy uh, to, to take power. Um, you don't think that there's going to be a couple swingy Dems who would vote for him? Well, it hadn't happened so far. It and you happened. know he's been trying to get him. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, if that happens, though, I mean. I think you bleed Republicans when you start getting Democrats. That's what I think. Because because the one thing about Democrats as opposed to Republicans is Democrats demand things in return oh, yeah. for doing anything. Mm -hmm. Republicans, for whatever reason, just like like giving away the store. Whereas mm -hmm. with a Democrat, I mean, you can buy a Democrat, but you're going to buy them. OK, like they, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't just price. acquire them for nothing. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and everybody knows this. So, you know, if McCarthy turns up with a half a dozen Democrats, <laughs> you're going to have a whole bunch of Republicans like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just give those people? Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't like I don't think anybody votes for them until they want they want to know exactly exactly yeah. how bad they've been sold down the river before they would make that vote. And I think because of that, um, he and would lose more check. Republicans than he would gain Democrats at this point. Yeah. And if he's whatever it is, 15 votes short, and you got to get 15 Democrats, mm -hmm. that's an awful lot of horse trading, right? Like that's yeah. a tough, tough lift. So I just, I don't like the only solution here would be to try to get conservatives over. And I think that ship has sailed on him. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, you know, I, don't know. I don't think we're, you know, we're not going to finish this podcast uh mm -hmm. before this is uh or after this is done i mean it's it's going to be continuing to go on probably long into the night i'm guessing um but <laughs> yeah i wonder what's going to happen well you, you know, know we're i just want to say that we're starting off 2023 in the most nihilistic negative <laughs> uh you know just <laughs> like awful frame of mind possible and i guess it's like I'm worn out because I'm writing a new book and I spent the entire New Year's weekend banging out pages talking about how Barack Obama has fundamentally transformed America in ways that nobody really wanted. Um, and so that kind of puts me in the wrong frame of mind <laughs> to, to do a, a, a fun podcast. And I know, Melissa, you've been sick as a dog. So that's, that's you know, I've just hard. been like, yeah, it's not been good there's nothing i mean it's bad enough you have you finally have a slow week at work right you have this, let's just face it nothing happens between christmas and new year's on a good right. year right and i'm so sick i can't even enjoy it you know it's just like oh this has been the worst thanksgiving till now i'm just you know and then i'm finally feeling better right when work starts back up yay for me yeah, exactly. but next next week we are gonna have to do an optimistic podcast yes okay so everybody who's listening to us now this whole speaker thing will be resolved it'll be like a zen buddha this person will unite the party it's going to be wonderful nirvana's around the corner next week we will have a positive we're going to have the positive spectacle pod podcast that's right we're gonna we're making our new year's resolution right now is that at least next week uh, Melissa and I will stop being Eeyore when it comes to American politics and society. We're going to uh, be Winnie the Pooh. Uh, okay. Uh, we can, yeah, maybe you can be Winnie and I can be, you know, somebody else. I don't know. Um, Tigger. I can be Tigger. I can absolutely be Tigger. Um, yeah. After all, I mean, like if we're going to do positive stuff, I, you could get me started. I could talk about LSU and how oh. freaking awesome they were beating the crud out of Purdue. Do you know, and I'm going to close on this note, do you know that the all-time record for margin of victory in a college bowl game is 56 points? Army beat Houston 70-14 to 14 in the 2018 Armed Forces Bowl, and Tulsa beat Bowling Green 63-7 to 7 in the 2008 GMAC Bowl, and LSU beat Purdue 63-7 to 7 in the 2023 Citrus, Cheez It Citrus Bowl. It's the <laughs> Cheez It Citrus Bowl. So that 56 point margin is ties two other games 
for the largest margin of victory by a college football team. Um, mm -hmm. LSU went 10 and four this year in Brian Kelly's first year. Okay. Was the coach at Notre Dame is now at LSU won the sec West in his first year and has 10 starters back on offense next year That's on a crazy. team that just scored 63 on the big big 10 West champion. Now Purdue was missing a bunch of players, but so was LSU and they beat that team 63 to seven. My football team is good and they will be even better next year and so that's me starting off 2023 in a positive note i got nothing positive to say about politics but lsu football is a different story well okay texas christian go texas christian i don't really like him but um yeah go ahead okay. and win <laughs> i'm kind of eh. so all right well on that positive note thank you scott for our first 2023 podcast thank you guys all for listening please like and share and subscribe of course and find us over at spectator.org and reviver rviver.com which is scott's home and uh good luck with your book we'll see you next week and we look forward to being positive happy Susie keys next week Thanks for listening, everybody.